Lots of channels, nothing to watch, especially if you're searching for the truth. It's time to interrupt your regularly scheduled programs with something actually worth watching. Salem News Channel, straightforward, unfiltered, with in-depth insight and analysis from the greatest collection of conservative minds like Hugh Hewitt, Mike Gallagher, Sebastian Gorka, and more. Find truth. Watch 24-7 on SNC.TV and on Local Now, Channel 525. Earnestly seek to commend yourself to God as an approved worker who has nothing to be ashamed of, handling the word of truth with precision. We're glad you're joining us for today's program, A Word from the Word, with your host, Pastor Tom, who will unpack for us the richness and beauty of the Bible's original languages as they bear on key words and concepts from both Testaments. Our hope is that your walk with God will be strengthened and deepened, and both your understanding and application of God's Word will be enriched, and you'll be drawn to love it more and more each day. And now, here's Pastor Tom. Hello, friends. Thanks for joining me on A Word from the Word. Well, today we're up to session 45 in our revived series, Oh, That First Means That a series that actually began airing in 2022, from January through September, consisting of 31 programs. However, back in May of this year, 2023, by popular demand, we brought this series back. Once again, today we'll become detectives of the divine. If you'd like to access the original 31 archived sessions or any of these new editions, just go to faithtalk1360.com, search for local program podcasts. Well, friends, let's shake the dust off our detective's cap, wipe our spiritual magnifying glass squeaky clean, and pull out our biblical sandals, as these are all necessary standard equipment in our spiritual uniform. Let's get them out, get them on, and get them ready for our next investigative assignment, because they're absolutely essential to protect us from cavalierly and authoritatively blurting out what we think a Bible verse or a portion of scripture means. Friends, at times we don't even realize we're imposing a personal or modern perspective on the scriptures we read and study. So I often wonder why so many of us so easily misuse scripture. Recently I discovered that several Bible scholars were surveyed on this very question. Their answer, declining biblical literacy, ding, 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 questionable Bible translations, and preachers who don't do their homework. Shame on us! Now, I believe that sincere Christians generally want to know what Bible verses mean, but so often miss their actual meanings because they tend to focus on what they expect or want to find in these verses. Let's be honest and admit it, friends. We do crave our spiritual quick fix, don't we? You know, consuming that little biblical morsel for the day so we can get on with life. But friends, is this respecting the Holy Spirit? After all, isn't he the author and inspirer of our scriptures? Shouldn't we be investing some time in God's word? Isn't God's word worth it? Shouldn't our goal be to be sure we're doing the scriptures justice? 
Haven't we discovered yet that investing a little extra time to observe the contexts of verses we read reaps great rewards? And one benefit we get is protecting ourselves from so easily and readily abusing Scripture. Friends, let me be frank here, because it should bother us that up till now we've singled out 44 Bible verses that are mischaracterized, misunderstood, misinterpreted, and then misapplied. So I appeal to you, friends, let's rekindle a desire to be more faithful and be more careful to scrutinize these Bible verses we've thought meant one thing because we're discovering over and over they actually mean something different. And let me just say again, friends, I take no pleasure in shining a spiritual searchlight on or get any glee from critically re-examining Bible verses that are deplorably interpreted by some of us pastors, teachers, and preachers. And you know why? Because the Bible has a story to tell us, doesn't it? It's crying out, screaming out to tell us its story. But what do we pastors, teachers, and preachers, and even average Christians do? We force or manipulate the Bible to tell our story. So I say, shame on us. Well, for today's session, our scripture under surveillance will continue to be Ephesians 6, 10 through 20, as these 11 verses are inseparably linked to each other and to one of the primary contexts of the letter to the Ephesian believers. We unveiled this last time in session A, and if you'd like to access it or review it, just go to the podcast links at www.faithtalk1360.com. And I'll admit that this portion of Ephesians 6 at first glance seems benign, even self-explanatory, and so we may wonder why it's even being scrutinized in today's session. Friends, you've heard me say more than once in this series that occasionally our scripture under scrutiny fits better in the category of discovering that the text means something deeper, not just something different. So in our last session, Ephesians 6 verse 11 was our jumping off point to scripture under surveillance. It got us rolling on an investigative journey that only our detective's cap, our spiritual magnifying glass, and our biblical sandals could take us on. So, friends, today's session 45 is All the Armor? Really? And I'm going to recap Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 in the voice translation that I read last time. While a less familiar translation and a dynamically driven translation, I chose it intentionally for its particularly vivid word choices that paint a more evocative picture for us, onlookers and listeners now living and reading it some 21 centuries after it was originally composed. Finally, brothers and sisters, draw your strength and might from God. Put on the full armor of God to protect yourself from the devil and his evil schemes. We're not waging war against enemies of flesh and blood alone. No, this fight is against tyrants, against authorities, against supernatural powers and demon princes that slither in the darkness of this world, and against wicked spiritual armies that lurk about in heavenly places. And this is why you need to be 
head to toe in the full armor of God, so that you can resist during these evil days and be fully prepared to hold your ground. Yes, stand, truth banded around your waist, righteousness as your chestplate, and feet protected in preparation to proclaim the good news of peace. Don't forget to raise the shield of faith above all else, so you'll be able to extinguish flaming arrows or spears hurled at you from the wicked one. Take also the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Pray always. Pray in the Spirit. Pray about everything in every way you know how. And keeping all this in mind, pray on behalf of God's people. Keep on praying feverishly and be on the lookout until evil has been stayed. And please pray for me. Pray that truth will be with me before I even open my mouth. Ask the Spirit to guide me while I boldly defend the mystery that is the good news for which I am an ambassador in chains. So pray that I can bravely pronounce the truth as I should do. Wow, friends, this is a powerful portion of scripture. In our last session, we began our journey unpacking this cool word schemes in verse 11. I shared that last time these 11 verses in chapter 6 are too often orphaned from the rest of the letter of Ephesians as if they stood on their own. But we learned something very different last time, didn't we? And why I felt compelled to reattach these verses to the overall concept and one of the running themes of this letter. Recall I mentioned in chapter 1, Paul clearly indicates that the scope of the Ephesian letter is otherworldly, and he's writing about the activities of the unseen world, both the heavenly and the demonic world. And this is where we often fail to observe that an underlying layer of Paul's letter to the Ephesians is the layer of a raging spiritual battle. What trips us up is getting entangled in chapter 1's theological seesaw, which for some reason takes center stage, thereby squeezing out another significant and running truth that's tethered to the concept and theme elaborated on in chapter 6. In Paul's prayer for the Ephesian believers, in chapter 1, which begins in verse 15, he later states in verses 20 and 21 that Jesus' resurrection has now seated him back at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realms. Jesus now continues his rule far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that can be invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet. Jesus Jesus' feet, and appointed him, Jesus, to be head over everything, period. Recall that last time I singled out verse 21 here, highlighting several of Paul's buzzwords he uses often, sometimes giving us an abbreviated list, other times a more fuller one. But here in verse 21, he says, rule, authority, power, and dominion. In Colossians 1.16, he elaborates on this list when he declares all that Jesus created, saying, by him, Jesus, all things were created in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible. And here it comes, whether thrones, dominions, or rulers, or authorities, all things have been created through him, Jesus, and for him. 
Let's review just a few other things Paul says, like Ephesians 3.10. So the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places, like Romans 8.38, mentioning angels and principalities, principalities being a synonym for rulers. Friends, it becomes abundantly clear that Paul and other New Testament writers are revealing to us a band of angelic beings or forces in two distinct categories, the good or elect angels and the bad or evil angels that became the demons in the angelic rebellion against God, spearheaded by Lucifer himself, who became Satan in the angelic fall. And it also becomes abundantly clear that we can deduce that these lists present us with a structured hierarchy, even though the lists aren't chronologically identical, so we can't be certain as to each of their power or authority levels or ranks. And friends, another thing is abundantly clear. Jesus Christ is the head and authority over every one of them, as Colossians 2.10 affirms. In our last session, we began our investigative journey with Ephesians 6.11 because it mentioned the devil's schemes. And I'll just quickly summarize this cool word's range of meaning for our benefit today. In its New Testament environment, it's connected more to evil doing and the negative aspect of the word, which has both positive and negative applications. This New Testament Greek word, methodia, and yes, it sounds just like our English word which came from it, method and methodology, carries with it these ideas, craftiness, deceit, searching after something, well-organized evil, and well-crafted trickery. It also includes investigating methodically to adopt a settled plan, and also cunning, wiles, lying in wait, and strategically manipulating or persuading someone to do what one wants. So, friends, when we read Paul's letters, and specifically Ephesians, it becomes increasingly obvious that he doesn't view the Christian life as a life of leisure, does he? Ephesians, Colossians, and 2 Timothy alone are sufficient to conclude that we Christians are to have the mindset of a soldier in a military conflict. I wonder, friends, do we picture ourselves in our walk in Christ as an active military engagement? I'll be honest, I don't think we, for the most part, do. Ephesians six ten through 20 actually assumes we will have a military mindset and that we will be actively training for the spiritual battles we'll face. Our springboard text, verse 11, implies that we will don the full armor of God, consciously preparing ourselves daily to engage our enemy. So, friends, here is where I believe Paul intentionally instructs the Ephesian believers and, by extension, instructs us in the here and now, and why he devotes 11 sentences to outlining specific pieces of armor we should be conscious of when we go out to battle the opposing forces, the natural ones and the spiritual ones. Well, in our last session, we began with armor piece number Number one, the helmet of salvation. Recall I mentioned that we'll look at the pieces of armor from the soldier's head to toe and not the 
the order Paul lists them. An order will help us visualize the Roman soldier a little easier and imagine we're sizing him up too. On this journey, we'll also bring out the important link from Paul's New Testament observation to the Hebrew Old Testament counterpart. Paul mentions the helmet of salvation in verse 17, simply saying, Take the helmet of salvation. Can't you just picture Paul saying, Take the helmet of salvation with you, or even, Don't forget your helmet. A modern-day equivalent might be, don't leave home without it. Well, in our last session, we shared why we mustn't leave home without our helmet. Here's a quick review. First, the helmet of salvation points us to God as the ultimate victor over our enemy and his evil forces. Second, putting on the armor of God in general, and the helmet of salvation in particular, is ultimately putting on Jesus. Putting on Jesus means we're assured that Jesus saves us and not we ourselves through any human efforts. Third, the helmet of salvation reminds us we're in a battle for souls, and in this battle we'll be persecuted from both natural and spiritual enemies. And in today's session, I'll add a fourth. For the Roman soldier, the helmet protected his head from attacks, and the spiritual parallel and application for us is that the helmet of salvation shields and protects our minds from spiritual attacks. Well, let's pause here, friends. If you tuned in late, you're listening to A Word from the Word with me, your host, Pastor Tom. I value you as listeners to A Word from the Word, which is listener-funded. Your financial partnership helps keep this program on the air, which also disciples Christians without a church home, plus those of you who may have been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Please join forces with me and A Word from the Word by emailing me for support details at a word from the word at minister.com we'll repeat this info at the end of the program well friends before we move on to armor piece number two i want to remind us that the old testament counterpart to the helmet of salvation is isaiah 59 14 through 17 so reread this on your own and note the connection now armor piece number two is the breastplate of righteousness and remember we're viewing the roman soldier from head to toe top to bottom and we'll begin with the old testament parallel in isaiah 59 16 and 17 which was actually a portion of our text for the helmet of salvation we'll pick it up at verse 16 he yahweh the covenant god of israel saw that there was no one and the no one in this context refers to no one who acted justly he was appalled that there was no one to intervene so his own arm achieved salvation for him and his own righteousness sustained him he put on righteousness as his breastplate and the helmet of salvation on his head now i'm going to pause here a moment friends because in our last session we resolved the riddle of who the arm of the lord or the arm of Yahweh is. Isaiah 53.13 and 59.1 make veiled references to the Messiah who is referred to by Isaiah as the servant or as God himself speaks, my servant. Additionally, I want to call our attention to who the he is in this passage. The he is God himself, Yahweh, the personal and covenant God of the Israelites. So let's take note of who's wearing these spiritual pieces of armor. In the Old testament it's god himself in the new testament i believe the parallel is 
Paul is pointing us to Jesus, meaning that ultimately Jesus himself is our armor. So friends, let's keep these parallel truths in our back pocket as we navigate through these pieces of armor. Here again, let's tag on a helpful cultural historical tidbit. In the first century Roman army, there were two kinds of breastplates. The first one was made of several curved metal bands fastened with leather strips or thongs. The second was a vest formed from chainmail links. The role and function of the breastplate was to protect the vital organs from arrows, spears, or swords piercing through and severely or terminally injuring the soldier. So the Holy Spirit inspires Paul once again to create a spiritual parallel by referring to the breastplate as the breastplate of righteousness. Vital organs that sustain a soldier's human life that are protected by his breastplate now become spiritual symbols of life that are covered by the righteousness of God himself through Messiah Jesus. By putting on the breastplate of righteousness, our vitality of spiritual life comes from Jesus's righteousness and not from our own self-righteousness. And we must also remember that righteousness in the Bible is used more than one way. It's not just holiness or being in right standing with God. It also involves justice and working for and toward justice and truth and working for and toward truth. The outward application of these truths means that we as Christians stand against injustice and unrighteousness, plus stand for and work for truth. 1 Corinthians 13, a portion of scripture that seems relegated to wedding ceremonies, deserves another hearing, friends. In the segment that's quoted most often during weddings, verses 4 through 6, we find this phrase, Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, let's listen to a few other respected translations to help paint a fuller picture for us. The NAS says, Love God does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. The New Testament Greek word here is rich and inclusive and carries the meanings of injustice, unrighteousness, particularly violations of God's standards. It includes doing wrong, evil, iniquity, and wickedness. So with this in mind, we'll now see why some translations render their versions differently. The ESV says, love does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. The New King James says, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. The NLT says, love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. It becomes abundantly clear that behind this scripture passage, there's more than meets the eye, isn't there? This is not just for married couples, but for all Christ followers. We're all to be laboring for countering injustice, unrighteousness, and lies and stand for work for just, righteous, and truthful causes. Why? Because we're wearing the breastplate of righteousness, which guards the heart from being victimized by lies and deception, and feeding our hearts with truth. Notice, friends, that our first two pieces of armor serve to protect the head, our mind, and our heart, one of the vital organs. Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it is the wellspring of life. 
Listen to Romans one seventeen, a well-known text, but this time with our breastplate of righteousness on. For in the gospel the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Wow! Now there's an interesting take on the text that many of us completely bypass. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So is that what we're doing in our lives as Christ followers? Are we revealing the righteousness of God? After all, we're gospel emissaries, aren't we? Or are we simply revealing the sinfulness of fallen humanity like everyone else? Ooh... Paul reaffirms and expands on this truth in Romans 3, starting with verse 21. The righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his justice at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. I share this extended passage so we all see the link between righteousness and justice. God not only does what is righteous, but he does what is just. And if we're to emulate him, we too must exhibit both righteousness and justice. Why? Because we're wearing the the breastplate of righteousness, aren't we? Well, friends, in the few minutes that remain, I'd like to give you a teaser for the next piece of armor, which we'll address in our next session in order of our head from head to toe. Next up, or I should say next down, is the belt of truth, a fitting piece of armor to follow the helmet and the breastplate, wouldn't you say? In the first century Roman army, the belt was an interesting necessity. A soldier's belt had an apron and small brass plates attached to it to protect the lower abdomen and groin area. Believe it or not, the belt was the first piece of armor put on by a soldier preparing for action in battle. The belt also held up or tied his garments so they wouldn't be in the way while fighting or dueling. Well, friends, the belt of truth appears in Ephesians 6.14 and its Old Testament parallel, Isaiah 11.5. So get a sneak preview for our next session where we'll elaborate on the belt's use and its spiritual meaning and application. Amen. Amen. Well, friends, we're at the end of our program. I hope it's been both a blessing and a challenge. And as promised, we'll close our program with an email where you may inquire about helping fund a word from the word, which is listener funded. I love coming alongside you who don't have a church home or you who've been hurt or wounded by the institutional church. Podcasts are posted at faithtalk1360.com. Podcasts are also at Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And thanks to my friends and partners at christianbody.net. A word from the word is heard in over 70 countries. Friends, if these teachings are helping you grow and nudging you to study God's word more carefully, please invest in the mission of a word from the word and help us become fully funded. Well, thanks for listening today, friends. And remember, Jesus loves you. I'm Pastor Tom with a word from the word. Friends, if you would like to let Pastor Tom know what this program has meant to you, Email him at a word from the word at minister.com. That's a word from the word at minister.com.